Let's pray. Father, we commit this message to you and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to your people and that you would help us as we address this whole issue of debilitating fear. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you today. We're going to be talking about neutralizing fear, neutralizing fear. You see, one of the most common phrases in scripture, I don't know if you've noticed, used by God, used by angels, used by people to each other, is do not be afraid. Just go and do some research and you will see a whole lot of scriptures, literally several hundred scriptures saying things like, be at peace, do not be afraid. And I believe that God hasn't changed. That's still his message to us today. He's still communicating that to us today. He's saying, do not be afraid. You see, God understands us. He knows the human psyche. He knows that even though we sometimes overcompensate and look strong on the outside, there's still that fear within us. And my goal today is that we come to a place where we're no longer friends with fear. You see, a lot of people today have become friends with fear. So many sicknesses, so many illnesses are rooted in fear and anxiety. We need to call out fear for what it is. And we need to understand that fear has negative consequences. Sadly, so many people have embraced fear as part of their personality. You know, Paul, I'm just not that type of person. No, I'm afraid of those kinds of things. They've embraced it as part of their identity and part of their personality, which is so sad because God didn't create them like that. You are created in God's image. And when we understand the born again person, okay, the redeemed person, the redeemed human spirit, it is not fearful. It is not fearful. So we need to neutralize the power of debilitating fear. I'm not talking about healthy fear. I'm not talking about things like, I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, that one of my fears is to end up on my deathbed and I haven't fulfilled my purpose. That's a healthy type of fear. It's like saying to someone, you know what, I'm afraid of falling, falling in sin, and falling into sin in this particular area. Therefore, I'm going to be vigilant, okay? There's nothing wrong with that type of fear. I'm talking about debilitating fear. Remember, this series is on getting things done. And there's a type of fear that stops us from getting things done. So this is so important. So we're talking about debilitating fear, which is fear that stops us from getting things done. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that there is no fear from which the Lord cannot deliver you. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you're facing, but there's no fear from which the Lord cannot deliver you. This is so powerful. You see, the key though is that we need to seek Him, we need to seek His face, and we need to see Him as our solution. So often when it comes to dealing with fear, we run to so many different things and we create strongholds for ourselves. We create high places for ourselves. And I'm telling you right now, the solution to overcoming debilitating fear is seeking God. In the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 34, verse 4, the Bible says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. Didn't just say God answered me. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. How did he answer you? He delivered me from all my fears, not just some of them. And some of you have become very comfortable with certain fears you have. And you think to yourself, this is just a part of me. It will never leave me. I'll always be like this. I'm here to say to you, you don't have to. You don't have to remain in that situation. You don't have to embrace it as part of who you are. Because that's not you. The born-again spirit is not fearful. 
You see, debilitating fear has negative consequences and we cannot be friends with fear and expect to remain in a neutral state. Some people are in a place in their lives where they think, you know what, I can be fearful, it's fine, it's just a part of life and, and nothing will happen to me. No, there are consequences and I want to show you this. In the book of Matthew, Matthew 6 verse 34, this is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. You know what Jesus is saying? In order to be effective today, do not worry. Because each day has its own troubles, right? So if I worry about tomorrow, I'm robbing myself of to from today. I'm robbing myself of today. If I'm worrying about tomorrow, I will not be productive today. I will not be present today. I will not have relational connection today if I'm worrying about tomorrow. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, I must focus on today's troubles and sort them out. Okay? You see, worrying is one of the biggest time wasters for most people. When you ask people, what are your time wasters? Right up there on the list, worrying, worrying. We spend so much time, for example, studying or working hard at particular things. But if you do an emotional log of your, on yourself, you realize that, wait a minute, half the time I was worried about this, worried about this, and my mind was distracted. Let me ask you a question. What are the things that invade your mind? What are the things that get mind share when you're supposed to be doing something else? You see, if you don't know how much you worry, I want to encourage you, do an emotional log over the next week and you will see. You will see. In other words, just get a diary uh, that splits time up into maybe 30 minute chunks. And every 30 minutes or every hour, just reflect back and ask yourself, what was I thinking about? And you will see a lot of worry there. All right. If you are someone who worries, if you're a warrior, all right. And many people are. In fact, in the modern day, it's been found, in, in, in modern times, we found that we've got more time to worry because uh, we tend to ruminate a lot when we're in our cars, when we are waiting in queues. There's a lot of time to just reflect and we ruminate a lot. Rum, 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 ruminating is to do with meditating on negative things. That's simply what it is. And in order for us to displace ruminating, we need to displace it with meditating on God's truth and God's word. Okay, so if you continue in fear, you can actually end up opening a door to deep levels of terror. And I said this to you last week, that fleshly behavior opens doors to spirits that can make it worse. This is so important to really understand this, because some of you are addicted to worry. So you're very anxious and you've embraced it as part of who you are. But if you're not careful, you'll open a door to a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of terror. And it causes you to end up doing foolish things. There's so many things that people do because of fear. Wars start because of fear. I'm afraid the enemy is going to get us. Oh, those people are really bad people. They're going to get us. Oh, so let's fight. And then attack becomes the best form of defense. Right? But it was this thing we imagined in our minds. And we do this day in, day out. Day in, day out. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, Get yourself ready. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. So get this done. Speak out. That's what he was supposed to do. Then he says this, Do not be terrified by them. What are the consequences? Or I will terrify you before them. Very often we open up ourselves, if we continue in the flesh, 
to something even worse. You see, so what do I mean by neutralizing fear? What am I talking about when I say we need to neutralize fear? To neutralize is to make something ineffective by applying an opposing force or effect. It's to make something ineffective. And I, I want you to come to a place in your life where fear, debilitating fear, is ineffective in your life. It doesn't affect you anymore. And I'm telling you, you can come to that place. Neutralizing is to counteract the effect of something or someone. So if there's someone who intimidates you, you're actually counteracting the effect of their intimidation over your life. To neutralize is to kill or destroy. I don't know if you've watched those, those movies where they don't use certain words, you know, they use euphemisms and they'll say that person has been neutralized. How many people have been neutralized? Okay, it's to kill or to destroy. What we want to do today is to uproot fear, to kill and to destroy fear in our lives. You've heard of this acronym before, many of you, that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. So very often the things we are afraid of aren't actually real. They're not based on the truth. My question to you is what mind games are at play in your life? What mind games are at play in your life? And this is so important because so many people are experiencing fear as we go through this pandemic, as we face life's, challenge, life's challenges. What mind games are play, at play in your life? You see, many people today, they live in a constant triggered state, right? What are you allowing to trigger you? What are you allowing to trigger you? People who struggle with stage fright will often say that they don't have a problem when they're sitting down talking to people. It's when they stand up and all these people have their eyes on them. That's when they feel fearful. That's when they feel fearful. And the way they describe it, they say, Paul, I was mortified. Paul, I felt like crawling underneath a grain of sand. And the real fear they're experiencing there is the fear of being the center of attention. Now, that's not rational. I'm just trying to show you that it's irrational. The very same people that you were talking to and you were fine with, when you now stand up and you're in front of them, you're terrified by them. What's going on there? I'll tell you what's going on. Imagine you're, you're in a room, whatever room you're in right now, and a lion walks through the door. What will you do when that lion walks through the door? You'll try to bore a hole through the wall, right? And just escape, right? So when a lion walks through the door, it's appropriate that it's going to be fight, flight, or freeze. You'll either flee, or you'll just freeze on top of a table, or you'll try and fight it, and you'll start exposing yourself by revealing weapons that you hadn't declared, all right? So that's appropriate when a lion walks through the door. And what's actually happening is the stimulus of seeing that lion, you bypass in your brain, you bypass your prefrontal cortex, which is uh, your thinking, logical, rational part of your brain, and you go straight to your amygdala, your emotional center, and it's fight, flight, or freeze. The sad thing is many people who are fearful, who are always worried, who are always full of anxiety, that's how they're operating. Now, how many of you know that that's not appropriate when it comes to just normal life. It's appropriate when you're fleeing danger, but your brain doesn't always distinguish between a lion walking through the door and your boss entering the room when you're giving a presentation. And this is where we have to do the work of renewing our minds, using the prefrontal cortex, where we're actually thinking through certain things logically and saying to ourselves, wait a minute, my boss is not my enemy. My boss is actually for me, not against me. Many times my boss has been my cheerleader. And you renew your mind in that situation so that you're not going to your amygdala and it's fight, flight or freeze. 
I remember some years ago I was helping a particular guy with public speaking. He was in a particular organization and he said to me, Paul, you know what? My boss gave me some a presentation to give, to do, but I had to present to the ex-girl and it was last minute because my boss couldn't make it. Do you know what really helped me, Paul? I was very anxious, but the MD came to me, he put his arm around me and he said, remember, we're your friends. Remember, we're your friends. And you see, he was renewing his mind. He was renewing his mind concerning who these people were, that they're for me, not against me. And you see, sometimes we have to do the same with God, where we have to remind ourselves that God is for me. He's not against me. God is the one who fights my battles on my behalf. And I was going to say God is my cheerleader, but the reality is it's not like your typical cheerleaders because a lot of cheerleaders, they don't know the detail about the sport. A lot of them don't even understand the sport. Okay, They just focused on their dance routines. God is right there and he's watching and he's paying attention to the detail of your life. He's for you. He's not against you. And as we go through this process, I want to show you that as we meditate on God's goodness and how great he is, that's where fear begins to flee. You see, we have to learn to get our spirit man to command our soul. Get your spirit to command your soul. That's why in the book of Psalms, uh, verse, uh, chapter 43, verse 5, the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Can you see what's happening? His spirit is commanding his soul. And it's so important that our spirit commands our soul to line up with the word of God. And many times when we are fearful, it's because of passivity. And I'm going to do a whole message on overcoming passivity. It's because of passivity. The word isn't in us. And so we drift into fear. You see, there's some questions you can ask when someone is overwhelmed with debilitating fear. You can say to them, have you been in this situation before? And they're likely to say, yes, I actually have, you know. How have you dealt with this in the past? So you're reminding them of demonstrated success in the past. Can you see? You're getting them to use the prefrontal cortex of their brain. They're now in thinking mode as opposed to reaction mode. What choices do you have right now? What's your first step? What's your next step after that? You're getting them to break it down into bite-sized chunks. Because when someone is feeling overwhelmed with fear, with debilitating fear, they just see this massive mountain. What's your first step? What's your next step after that? How can, how can you break up the situation into parts? You're trying to show them that you've got this. You've done it before. What's the root cause of the situation? Whose assistance do you need? Who's around you who can assist you? You're reminding them of the relational assets that are around them. Because very often when we are fearful, we feel alone. That's why fear and loneliness often go hand in hand. Whose assistance do you need? A powerful question to ask someone is, what else could be true? Because they're making assumptions based on lies. You can actually coach yourself around this. Hey, what else could be true concerning this particular situation? How can I avoid being in this situation again? You get them to start thinking through these particular things. And I'm telling you right now, we begin to neutralize fear. And this is so important. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, the Bible says, Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? So here, they were fearful people, afraid of the emperor, afraid of the Romans, right? They were in fear. But who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? So a lot of times, criminals are the ones that are fearful because they know that what they're doing is wrong, 
all right? That's just one of the ways to get rid of fear. Know that you're living right. You're living above board. But then look what it goes on to say. It says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Can you see what happens is we fear different things. So my question to you is, what triggers you into fear? Is it their threats? Is it their words? Is it phone calls? Is it what you see? Is it their voice? Is it the tone of voice? Is it their face? That's why scriptures, especially when you read it in the King James, it says, do not be afraid of their faces. Some people, when they're doing public speaking, they avoid certain faces because they know that that terrifies them. What triggers you into fear? Is it those threats? Bible says, do not be afraid of their threats. Do not be frightened. You see, and so today we're focusing very specifically on debilitating fear, debilitating fear. Sometimes I'll speak to someone and I'll say, I've noticed that your mood has changed here. And I can see that it was since you received that phone call. You see, when you do emotional logs, it's so powerful because you're actually able to trace back to where that fear came in. Hey, I started my day really great. And at a certain point, I started feeling anxious. I don't like fear. I don't want to be friends with fear. I want to always make sure I'm decoupling myself from the spirit of fear. I want to make sure that I'm always decoupling myself from the spirit of fear. So if I feel intimidated by someone or by a situation, I'm like, I'm not used to this emotion. This is not my portion. I don't like it. I want to encourage you to become very self-aware. Emotional self-awareness is a central part of your emotional intelligence. Become very self-aware with regards to your emotional state. Why? Your emotional state will affect your physiology. And your physiology will affect your behavior. It's so important to understand that. Okay? So, this is the type of fear that stops you from getting things done. Now, one of the things I've realized is that fear is often based on illegitimate needs. It's often based on illegitimate needs. You see, if you have the need for someone's validation and approval, then you will live in constant fear of their disapproval. Right? If you're addicted to my praise, then you will live bound by the fear of anticipated criticism from me. Right? If, you, if, if your identity is in your bank balance, for example, right, then you will live in constant fear of losing all your money. You see, misplaced needs, misplaced needs, illegitimate needs, illicit needs produce fear. In attempting to get rid of fear in your life, it's important to examine misplaced and illegitimate needs. And I'm telling you that's one of the keys to overcoming fear in our lives. So I want to describe to you three major types of fear that I believe cause you to be paralyzed cause you to be debilitated in terms of getting things done. The first one is the fear of failure. And it's so interesting because when I'm coaching people, often that's a big one that comes up. But you see, often what people call the fear of failure is more accurately understood as the fear of what they perceive failure will bring. For example, it can be the fear of ridicule. It can be the fear of embarrassment. Right? Um, uh, in other cases, it manifests as the fear of blame. So you'll hear salespersons saying, I'm not really afraid of failing. I'm not really afraid of missing my targets. The thing, Paul, that I'm really afraid of is that my boss might blame me and not understand my situation. All right? It's the fear of 
being blamed, where you've always got that visual of that boss saying, it was your fault, it was your fault. So if you're trying to understand the nature of your fear of failure, just go a bit deeper, ask yourself a few more questions. And I'm telling you right now, there's a guy called John Whitmore who once said, that which I'm aware of, I can control. That which I'm not aware of controls me. Awareness therefore empowers me. So that's the first day. You want to become aware of the type of fear that we tend to face, you see. Now, what tends to happen is that these people who are afraid of failure, very often they think that the pendulum will always swing the other way when things are going well, you know. Their minds have been programmed to more readily accept failure than success. When things go well in their lives, they're always thinking, what's the catch, what's the catch, what's going to happen, right? And so they actually have faith for failure. And that's why sometimes they end up failing. Not because they were going to fail, but because they actually had faith for it. You see, and when you're worrying all the time, you're actually meditating on negative things and you end up producing negative things. Remember, fear is faith in reverse. You have faith for negative things and what you fear comes to pass because of this, not because it was going to happen anyway. For a lot of people, their minds have been programmed to more readily accept failure than success. In the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 25, it says, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Very often people end up getting the very sicknesses and the very diseases that they were always so afraid that they will get. And they'll think to themselves, you see how smart I am. It's come. I knew it would come. No, it's come very often because you believed for it. You believed for it. You see. So I want you, I want you today to examine your relationship with failure. What story do you tell yourself when you have failed? What story are you telling yourself when you have failed? Remember, I've said to you before that we're not destroyed by our experiences. We're destroyed by the story we tell ourselves of our experience. One of the things I've come to realize is that failure and setbacks are ingredients for success. I'm telling you right now, failure and setbacks are ingredients for success. Success is often experimental, isn't it? Often it involves trial and error. If you want to grow in your social media, it's like, let me try this platform. Let's see how it works. Let me now try this. Oh, this is working better. Let's invest in this area. Okay. You see, if you see failure as a permanent state, it becomes very difficult to achieve ultimate success. It becomes very difficult to achieve ultimate success if you always see failure as a permanent setup, a permanent situation, a permanent state. And I want to show you this in scripture. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You see, many of you today, you end up in fear because of an unhealthy relationship with failure. Because the way you see failure, you see it as a permanent state. Instead of saying, I was struck down here, but I'm actually not destroyed. Right? I was struck down, but I'm not destroyed. I was persecuted here, but that's not the end of everything. Because I'm not forsaken. You see, some people tell tell themselves a different story. Because I'm being persecuted, I'm forsaken. Because I was struck down, I'm now destroyed. And there's no future. What story do you tell yourself? When you have a temporary setback, do you see it as temporary? You see, Paul did not see setbacks as a permanent state. How you define setbacks and apparent failure is crucial. 
How do you define it? Some people are not doing anything today. They're not doing anything with their lives because they're saying, you know what? I don't want to get disappointed. So they're not setting goals. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. I don't want to hope anything, Paul, because if I, if I keep hoping, I don't want to hope for anything, Paul, because if I keep hoping, then I, I might be disappointed. I don't want to set any goals. I'll aim at nothing. Well, if you aim at nothing, that's what you get, nothing, right? So don't see failure and setbacks as permanent states, but rather as your learning journey to success. Your learning journey to success. And study biographies, because there's so many people out there, and we know them, they, they look so successful today, but I can tell you right now, if you study their biography, you see how many mistakes they made and what they learned from them. And many of them were full of grit, like we spoke of last week. They were full of grit, partly because of how they understood setbacks. You see, often the fear of failure comes in the form of the fear of evil tidings. That's kind of like King James language for bad news. The fear of receiving bad news, okay? This is why some people feel nervous when the phone rings, right? Uh, their default is bad news is coming. I remember growing up, sometimes the phone would ring, you know, and, and then someone goes and answers the phone and you can see everyone is kind of like waiting, looking, because there's that fear of bad news. That's not your portion. In the book of Psalms, and I like declaring this over people when they get a new home and so on, there's a powerful blessing in Psalms 112. Okay, it speaks of the blessing of the righteous with regards to this. In verses six to seven, it says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be, they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. They will have no fear of bad news. Do you know what pain often is? Pain often, uh, what fear often is, it's the anticipation of pain. Have you noticed that? Very often fear is the anticipation of pain. You're expecting bad news. You're expecting that, oh, this needle here is going to really prick me and it's going to be sore. Fear is the anticipation of pain very often. But you don't have to be bound by that. The fear of bad news. The fear of bad news. It says their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Your heart is not steadfast when you are afraid of bad news when you're constantly in that state and and this is seen in our languaging next time the phone rings go with that expectation oh what's this opportunity lord thank you for this opportunity even if it's an opportunity to resolve conflict even if it's an opportunity to uh, engage with your enemies and forgive your enemies it's an opportunity it's not a calamity in the book of psalms 23 verse 4 it says even though I walk through the darkest valley. Some of you are walking through the darkest valley of your lives, relationally, financially. It says, I will fear no evil. So, so fear doesn't have to do with our circumstances. We can have terrible circumstances, but still not fear any evil, whether it's evil news or evil people. Why? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, despite your outward circumstances, you can still walk in inner peace. Isn't that powerful? You see, we need to ask ourselves certain questions when we think that we failed, so that we neutralize the potential trauma of failure. Some of you are traumatized by failure. I coach people who will say that to me, Paul, I cannot afford to fail. I cannot afford to fail. So they're not studying further. They're not studying further because they're so frightened of failing, right? So, so here's some questions that you can ask people around you when they feel like a failure, when they've got a bad relationship with failing. Ask them some of these questions. What have you learned from this situation? 
And the, the, you can even do self-coaching, right? We can ask yourself some of these questions. Are you being hard on yourself? Am I being hard on myself? Right? That's renewing your mind. Have you been in this situation before? Probably. And you survived, didn't you? Okay. Of what are you afraid? Because they'll say, I'm afraid of failing that exam. But really deep down, it's I'm afraid of the embarrassment that will come with it. I'm afraid that people will see me differently. I'm afraid that I might be so discouraged I don't want to try again. Okay. I'm afraid that I've let down my professor. I don't know what, what, what the root cause of your fear of failure is. Do you know others who've been in this situation? Yes, I know many other people who've also failed actually and they've bounced back. How could it have turned out worse? How could you have done it better? How have you improved from previous times? Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves, but we've actually improved. Last time you got um, 45%, right? Now this time around you got 52%. You've done better. Why are you still beating yourself up? Okay, so I like to ask the question, why do you see it as failure? Who told you that you failed? That's, that's a definition you're placing onto it, but who told you, right? And I like, like to ask this question, what were you expecting? Sometimes people are so terrified, they call it failure because they had unrealistic expectations of themselves and of the situation, okay? I like what Robin Williams said in the one hour photo, the things we fear most have already happened to us. Sometimes some people could come and say, oh, Paul, you know what? I'm looking for a job. Oh, there's that opportunity. Go for that interview. Hey, I'm afraid of interviews, Paul. You know, what are you really afraid of? Hey, I don't want to be rejected. I'm tired of being rejected. I'm afraid of it. So you've been rejected many times before and you're still here, but you're still afraid of being rejected. Come on. The things we fear the most have already happened to us. You've been there before. Why are you so terrified? You see, fear is what we learned here on earth. Someone once said that children are born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. All the other fears are learned. So we need to unlearn these fears. Ask yourself, where did I learn to be afraid of that particular thing? You know, one of the things I find amazing about little, little babies is they love being stared at. In fact, you can play little games with them, just staring at them. But at some point in life, we learn that, oh, being stared at is not good. Some people can be staring at you, admiring you, but you're like, why are they looking at me? What's wrong? And we've got this negative default. Little babies aren't terrified. Where did we learn it? The second debilitating fear I want to talk about is the fear of success. The fear of success. I was doing a group session. It was in one of my masterclasses and I, I spoke to two ladies who were in that group and I said, are you guys afraid of success? Because they're saying, well, I want to do this, I want to do this but they didn't want the responsibility that sometimes comes with success, the attention from everyone, the paparazzi, that kind of thing. And so they were experiencing an inner conflict because they wanted to achieve greatness, but they didn't want the attention that comes with it. It's so interesting when you see how the fear of success can actually stop you from getting certain things done. You see, a lot of people are afraid of the responsibility that comes with success. Whilst for other people, they're afraid of the tension that comes with success. I want to encourage you today, dare to dream and dare to dream again. Some of you have been dreaming, dreaming, dreaming and you failed. Dare to dream again. Dare to commit. Some of you are afraid of just committing, committing to starting a business, committing to a local church, committing to a relationship. I want to encourage you, dare to love. Now, it's one thing to love. But I want to say something else. Dare to love again, especially if you've been wounded in that department. Dare to lead people. 
dare to step out into uncharted territories. I remember some years ago coaching someone, this person was a CFO of a particular organization, they'd been really successful, and I said, are you willing to step into uncharted territories? And this individual said, Paul, within my profession as a CA, I'm good at that. But when it comes to launching into other things, I struggle to, uh, to step into uncharted territories. Now, if you know about being a chartered accountant, the powerful thing about that is you can apply yourself into so many different types of businesses. But there was something in this person where they weren't daring to step into uncharted territories. You see, sometimes we are bound by certain misbeliefs, like competition is bad, someone will get hurt. Conflict is bad, someone will get hurt. So people are afraid of actually going into business because, oh, competition is bad, someone will get hurt. Okay? People are afraid of getting into difficult conversations because, oh, conflict is bad, someone always gets hurt. And because of that, they don't become successful because you cannot be a successful person if you don't go through that pathway of having the difficult conversation. If you want to start your own business, for example, you'll have to have that conversation maybe with your spouse and say, honey, for the next six months, we can't spend like we used to. You'll have to have that difficult conversation with your boss to say, I know you guys value me a lot here, but this is my vision. So in the next few months, I think I'm going to need to leave. Now, if you're afraid based on misbeliefs that you have, you will, you'll be afraid of being successful ultimately because of what comes with it. What I've also realized is that some people begin to criticize that which they're avoiding. So if you're afraid of intimacy or vulnerability, if that's your root fear, right, you won't be successful in relationships. And what you do is you end up projecting it as criticism right, toward that particular group of people. Let me explain it this way. So someone can have a fear of being vulnerable and, and intimate, emotionally intimate with guys. Let's say you're a girl, right? But the way they deal with it, instead of saying, I am actually afraid of being close to someone and making myself vulnerable. What do you end up saying? All men are dogs, I don't need a man in my life. Just be careful of that. I know someone uh, who I was working with, helping out and coaching and so on, and they said to me something interesting. They said, Paul, you know what? Uh, as I was growing up, I, was a f I, I had this sense of unworthiness. I would get certain awards, certain certificates, but I didn't feel like I deserved them. And then uh, as I was growing in my career, when my bosses would give me certain awards for working well, the way I interpreted it was they'd just given me this, so they can manipulate me because this is what they want from me. You see, when we have misbeliefs, when we believe certain lies, the external environment has to match up to our internal world. And we begin to criticize people and, and do all sorts of things. But these, these are all forms of fear of success. And this guy went on to say to me, you know what, I'm afraid of the responsibility that comes with success. So he began in his mind to make up certain theories about the people who were actually coming in a loving way saying, well done, well done, well done. I remember I had a friend back in the day in my school days and he was physically handicapped. And through a common friend of ours, I found out that this guy was saying, oh, Paul is only my friend because he feels sorry for me. You see, his, his insecurity was being projected out in how he interpreted and reframed his world. I want to encourage you. Good things are coming to you. God is for you, not against you. Right? When people come towards you, if they, it's because they like you, they admire you, they see the good in you. Don't become cynical because you will not experience relational success if that's your mindset, you see. 
uh, <clears throat> are you hiding from love? Are you pushing success and love away because of your misbeliefs? Just think about it. Just think about it. I believe that in the parable of the talents, right, or the parable of the gold bags, if you want to call it that, um, uh, the debilitating issue might have been the fear of success. Because while the other guys were investing the talents that they were given, given it's interesting what happens to the guy who's later described as wicked. In Matthew 25, verses 24 through to 30, it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Can you see he's beginning to be critical, right? I knew that you're a hard man, judgmental, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Why didn't he end up investing? Why didn't he end up growing what he had been given? Fear. And I'm telling you, that's the problem with so many people. What fear is debilitating you? What is that fear that is stopping you from being successful in life? He says, so I was afraid. What does fear cause us to do? Foolish things. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. What have you hidden in your life right now? What talent is lying dormant? And we can use fancy words like that and say, oh, it's lying dormant. Oh, it's not the season. But really, you've hidden it in the ground because of fear. Okay? And I hid your gold in the ground. See here. Here's what belongs to you. See, I'm still a person of integrity. I'm not a bad guy. Look at those bad guys over there. I'm the nice guy. <laughs> see, see, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. So there are consequences to this kind of fear, ladies and gentlemen. God uses other people. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. That was the one who's been faithful with what he's been given. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's really sad, isn't it? Okay? You see, the fear of success causes us to settle and it's often fueled by false humility. He thought he was great hiding uh, the bags of gold, right? We can also become self-righteous and judgmental towards those that are successful, right? The saddest summary of a life contains three descriptions. Could have, might have, and should have. Could have, might have, and should have. I don't want to be on my deathbed one day and I'm thinking I could have done this, I might have done this, I should have done this. You see, when a person is on their deathbed, it is unlikely that they will regret taking too many risks over the years. You don't hear them saying that, oh, I took too many risks. They're more likely to wish that they had taken more risks. Let me tell you something. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K. R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith. This, at some stage in your life, it will require some risk taking. Oh, it's a risk taking on that new job. It's going to be a risk getting married to that person. It's risky business because you don't really know what might manifest because that person you're getting married to today can change tomorrow. They're a wonderful, hardcore Christian. We've seen this happening. Hardcore Christians, there you are in prayer meetings together. 
two years down the line the person changes it's a risk there's no guarantee i wish i could say to you there's a guarantee the pastor has blessed it you had premarital counseling you did everything right there's a guarantee no guarantees ladies and gentlemen right i want to say this to you some of you your the nature of your fear of success is you are getting information from other people based on their experiences so your mindset is, I'll never be a pastor. Pastor Paul, I'll never be a pastor because I saw what happened. My uncle, my uncle, he pastored in that particular area where we grew up and his kids did not have money. They went to bad schools. People say those kinds of things, so I won't be. And I'm thinking to myself, you talking about something that happened in an environment that isn't your current environment, something that happened 30 years ago, and you're saying because of what that person experienced, never mind the fact that it's a different person, it's not you, Okay, God's grace on your life is not the same as theirs, or God's grace on their life, right? Because of their experience, you say, this is what's going to happen to me in my life. Be very careful of that. And what I often say to people is, their story doesn't have to be your story. Their story doesn't have to be your story. When it comes to promotion in the workplace, you hear people saying, I don't want my boss's job, it's stressful. I'll never want to be in that corner office over there. I want work-life balance, Paul. I want work-rest balance. And I'm thinking to myself, Maybe there are people pleaser and don't have boundaries. That's why they're always stressed out and have got no balance. Their story doesn't have to be your story, okay? So don't let other people's negative experiences become the predictor of your success or failure. This is so important. Do not let other people's negative experiences become the predictor of your success or failure. And it's so sad because so often that's what we do. And you see, God has given us a sound mind where we need to renew our minds based on, Lord, what's your promise to me concerning this? Should I do it or not? I'm led forth by your peace. I will go out with joy. My, my future predictors are not based on your past experience. Your story doesn't have to be my story. The third type of fear I want to talk about that becomes debilitating to us when it comes to getting things done is the fear of man. The fear of man. I want to ask you this question. To whom have you given illegitimate power? People in your life are only as powerful as you make them. Simple as that. They're only as powerful as you make them. Right? Those senior stakeholders you're so afraid of, not everyone is afraid of that person. But you are. And sometimes it's because of the psychological contract you have with your organization. Where in your mind you've exaggerated these people's power. And you've said, ooh, if I just say this to this person, they'll fire me. Says who? When you actually look at it logically, they don't have that power. But you've exaggerated it in your mind. You've catastrophized it in your mind. So to whom have you given illegitimate power? Who have you placed on a pedestal and given so much power to? Because that's what you've done. You've placed them on a pedestal and they've actually become an idol. Have you deauthorized yourself where you literally feel that you don't have any power? You're exaggerating their power and you're diminishing your power. Of whom are you afraid? Who are you afraid of? Who intimidates you and why? Let me ask you this question. How big is God in comparison to that person? You know what I've learned? What the Lord ministered to me? When you live in constant fear of rejection from man, then it means that you have not yet grasped and internalized the significance of God's acceptance of you.
I'm telling you that right now. When you live in constant fear of the rejection that comes from man, it clearly means that you have not yet grasped and internalized the significance of God's acceptance of you. You see, this is what we must meditate upon. This is what we must utter and mutter all the time. God loves me, God loves me, as opposed to the latest theological conspiracy theory. You see, some people spend, especially nowadays, spend more time meditating on version 503 of the Antichrist than on the relentless love of Jesus. That's what's happening today. And I'm not saying we mustn't study the word. I'm not saying we mustn't study the book of the Revelation. In fact, we must study these things so that we are clued up but we must study them properly with proper biblical exegesis, biblical interpretation. It's important. Proper hermeneutics. But the problem is there's some people who meditate far more on version 503 of the Antichrist than they do of the, uh, on the love of Jesus Christ. That's a problem. A few years ago, there's a friend of mine who shared with me a powerful experience he had. He said, Paul, you know what? When I was growing up, I had this experience where I would be playing, he's an American guy, I think he was playing baseball, and he said, my father would mock me and ridicule me. He says, Paul, from that time on, I made an inner vow that I'll never place myself in a position where I can be mocked or ridiculed ever again. That's what he said. And for years, he would be the guy in the background. And he saw it as a bit of a virtue. Hey, I'm a servant leader, this is what I do. I'm not the guy who's up there in the forefront. Until he dealt with that particular inner vow. And this is what happens, you see. The fear of man, sometimes the, what it looks like is the fear of being mocked and ridiculed by man. And some of you struggle with that. That deep sense of shame that came in childhood. And was, it was only when he dealt with that inner vow. Now the guy has spoken all over the world. He's written a great book on entrepreneurship. He's got a successful business in the United States. He's successful as a person. He's comfortable in front of people. But he had to deal with that inner vow. You see, sometimes we go through pain, we go through rejection as we are growing up and we make inner vows and we need to neutralize those inner vows. We need to actually disarm the power of those inner vows because they cause us to become fearful of man. They cause us to become very self-protective. The Lord is saying to you today, you don't have to be bound anymore by the fear of humiliation based on childhood issues. You don't. And I'm speaking to someone right now and I'll say it again. You don't have to be bound anymore by the fear of humiliation based on childhood issues. Leave them behind. Close the past. This is a new day. You see in the book of Isaiah chapter 54 verse 4 it says, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. I'm telling you this applies to many of you who are listening right now. Fear of being embarrassed fear of being put to shame it says do not fear disgrace do not fear disgrace you will not be humiliated some people are afraid of receiving counsel why oh i'll be embarrassed i'm ashamed oh, oh marriage counseling no no we, we you know Paul, we don't need that do not fear disgrace you will not be humiliated you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. You see, there's a place in the kingdom for the healing of memories. Some of you need certain memories to be healed in your lives. In the book of Psalms 27 verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
So can you see my fear goes away to the degree to which I am a revelation of who God is. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So it's not so much about saying, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. It's about saying, this is who God is, therefore I'm not afraid. In the book of Psalms 118 verse 6, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So we recognize the otherness of God in comparison to how small these mere mortals are. And some of you need to start seeing certain people around you as mere mortals. Not that you disrespect them, but you recognize that they are mere mortals. In the book of Psalms uh, 56, I'm going to read from verse 3 to 4. It says, when I'm afraid, what do I do? I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. Isn't that powerful? We praise this word. In God, I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You see, people who are fearful of man have not meditated long enough on the otherness of God. This is, this is the work of renewing your mind. This is the work of sanctification, where you're spending time meditating on the love of God, on how close He is to you, on His tenderness toward you, how much He cares for you. In the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 28, the Bible says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Right now you're being loosed from the fear of man. You're being freed from the fear of man. You do not have to be afraid of people anymore. You're being completely loosed from that. It's not your portion. As I land this message, I want to share with you some tools that you can use in terms of antidotes for fear, antidotes for fear. You see, you don't get rid of fear by just saying, don't fear, don't fear, Paul, don't fear. No. Fear has some antidotes. There's certain things that displace fear in your life. You see, there are things you need to build into your spirit in order to overcome fear. Fear has to be displaced by these antidotes. Now, there are a few things for us to uh, meditate upon, okay? There are a few things that we can meditate upon if we're going to neutralize fear. Um, and as we meditate on these things, okay, that's to utter and to mutter, to get the word inside of you, it's important to understand that knowledge really helps. Knowledge really gives you power over certain fears. For example, if you're afraid of snakes, I mean, if you know that studying snakes and understanding snakes and how they operate, Right? And how they're actually, most, for the most part, afraid of you. Right? Understanding all those things will help you to displace that fear. I remember years ago, my wife was in a situation where she, had, she, she doesn't like snakes. Okay, She's afraid of snakes. She doesn't like snakes like many of us. But she had to do this project. It was a reptile project. One of our kids had to do it. So she had to take uh, the boys to, I think it was a reptile farm of sorts or the croc farm. And uh, there were snakes there. And she, she texted me and she said, it's amazing, my love, the power of knowledge. Because she ended up having one of these pythons on her. And this is someone who I know is afraid of snakes. She had this python on her, but the python had a name. And she was given information about what snakes do in terms of the rat population. And she started seeing that this, this, this is not the enemy. I don't have to be afraid of this. And she said, knowledge is power. And that's the thing, when we learn about certain things. Some of you are so afraid of snakes, but I encourage you, gain knowledge about snakes and um, how, for example, many of them um, are actually not venomous. 
right? In this part of the world, like in Southern Africa, only 11% of the 173 species of snakes in Southern Africa can be considered uh, deadly, right? Uh, so you're talking about your mambas, you're talking about your uh, Mozambican um, cobras, your puff adder, your uh, gaboon vipers, your boom slam, you know, the twig snake, okay? Those ones are the ones that are really dangerous, but it's such a tiny percentage, you know, of snakes out there. I know some of you are like, Paul, this is not helping. Paul, this is not helping, okay? I'm still afraid of snakes. Maybe it's because you want to be afraid of snakes and you're not willing to renew your mind about some of these things. I still remember how knowledge is so powerful. In 1989, I was 14 at the time, and uh, we went on a choir tour to Malawi. If you're trying to calculate my age, I'm turning 46 this year. I don't want you to be distracted by that. I know how some of you think. It's like, oh, 14, 1989, when you're trying to calculate my age, right? Um, so I was in Malawi, and we were on a choir tour there. And um, you know Lake Malawi is so, so beautiful. And we're in these dug-out canoes. And I still remember being on one of these canoes, in one of these canoes, and I was afraid. I'm not a strong swimmer for one. And there I am this large, this massive lake. And there's this guy who's, you know, this canoeist who's uh, rowing and rowing. And this guy kept on wondering why I was so afraid. He couldn't understand. And he's like, why, why so afraid? Why so afraid, Paul? Paul, why so afraid? Right? First of all, I couldn't understand what he was saying. Oh, what I was saying. Oh, why are you so afraid, Paul? Yeah, well, you... He couldn't understand because he had knowledge that I didn't have. He had knowledge about his expertise that, listen, I'm fine. We're not going to tip over. He had knowledge about the sea. He had probably tipped over before and realized, wait a minute, I'm not going to be bitten by something poisonous or anything. He had knowledge. The only knowledge I had was that this thing could tip over, right? And I'm not a strong swimmer, so I might struggle. Knowledge is powerful and we need to get knowledge concerning the truth of God's word in order to overcome and to displace fear in our lives, okay? And you know what I find so interesting? This guy was so baffled by my fear. And I believe sometimes God is baffled by our fear too. You see, when you've got knowledge concerning God and his nature and his love, you're not fearful. Perfect love drives out fear, the Bible says. It, it drives out fear. How many of you know that fear is the antithesis of love? So love drives out fear, but fear arrests love. It arrests love from operating. I want to show you love, but then I'm fearful that you might reject me, and so I don't show the love anymore. Fear arrests love. Love drives out fear. God is sometimes baffled by our fear because he has knowledge of his great love for us. How I many of you know that we tend to uh, fear certain cultures that we don't understand? But when we gain knowledge about that culture, what happens? The fear goes away. We start realizing, oh, these ceremonies and these different things they're doing. I don't have to be afraid of them because I now understand where it comes from, where it originated from. So when we study different people and different things, that knowledge helps to cast out the fear. We're afraid of that which we don't understand. See, when you gain knowledge about God's nature and God's heart toward you, you begin to overcome fear. So what must we meditate upon to displace the ruminating and the worrying that goes with fear? The first thing to do is to meditate on the access that you have to the Prince of Peace. God is described as the God of peace. The Bible says, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. 
So peace is very central to God. And we have access to his peace. In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 27, the Bible says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus imparts supernatural peace to us. How many of you know that we are stewards of peace? So we can also impart our peace to those around us. That's why when Jesus sent out his disciples, he gave them the command to do the same thing for those who would host them. Say, if you see a son of peace there, leave your peace there. I love doing that. When I visit people and I'm praying over their house and I'm, I'm about to leave, I say, I leave my peace here. So receive the peace that comes from Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The second thing for us to meditate upon is meditate on the fact that you belong to God. How many of you that people protect that which belongs to them? You're God's property, so he protects you. In Isaiah 43 verse 1 it says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. In other words, I've brought you back, right? I've brought you back. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. We are doubly his. He created us, but then he also brought us back. I mean, that's someone who's really keen for you, right? <laughs> so meditate on the fact that you belong to him. Thirdly, meditate on his presence with you, his presence with you. In Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Many people have a revelation of God's love for them. But fewer people have a revelation of God's presence with them. This is so important. God is not an absent father. God is not like me who sometimes when I'm watching soccer matches, when my kids are playing soccer, sometimes I'm on the phone. Sometimes I'm a bit distracted. Sometimes I get very caught up in a conversation. And, and one of my sons, Jaden, will come to me and say, Dad, did you see my goals? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm under pressure now. I just saw one of them. And he's talking pl plural, goals. Okay. And then I get in trouble can get in trouble from your kids sometimes okay so I want to I want to encourage you God is not an absent father God is not an absent father he's there he's attentive to every single detail sometimes we struggle but God is a perfect father meditate on God's love for you that's the next thing to meditate on in Romans 8 verse 38 to 39 it says for I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is so powerful. You cannot be separated from his love. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 to 7, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, all your fears. Why? Because he cares for you. He's tender toward you. You see, so this is an active process that you engage in. Casting my cares on him is an active thing. In 1 John 4, 18, the Bible says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment 
You see, that's what guilt does. If you believe that God is about to punish you, God is about to punish you because of your guilt, guess what? You'll always be fearing punishment. And what does fear of punishment look like? Fear of evil tidings. Fear that there's a catch to this deal. Fear that God is going to punish you by giving you a terrible husband who's going to do dodgy things behind the scenes, right? And for some people, they're bound by that fear of punishment. It's, it's really terrible. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. My friends, when you meditate on the love of Jesus, when you become perfected in understanding the love of Jesus, fear will go away. Fear will go away. Meditate on the nature of the born-again spirit. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's the nature of the born-again spirit. It's not fearful. So when you're feeling fearful, you're not living from the new creation. You're living from somewhere else. You're living from your flesh. In Romans 8 verse 15, it says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. The spirit you received. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then finally meditate on God's truth. Meditate on God's truth. In Ephesians 6, 14, it shows us the key in our warfare. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth, don't let go of that. And we're talking about truth about yourself. What does the Bible say about you? Who am I in Christ? Truth about who God is. How do I see God? Truth about other people around you. How does God see them, mere mortals? Okay, and other good things also, right? And truth about how the world works, how the world works around you. Here's the principle, fear thrives in lies. It does. When we're full of lies in our lives, fear will thrive. You see, your subconscious does not distinguish between fact and fantasy. So if you believe a lie, that lie will actually affect your emotional state and your physiology, which in turn will impact how you relate with the world around you. I want to encourage you today, as we close off, that as you make God big, we can't make him bigger than he already is, but in our minds, as we renew our minds so that we see how big he is, how massive he is, you will see the fear of man going away. You will see the fear of success going away. You'll see the fear of failure going away. And so as we land this, I want us to just have a time of worship for just a few minutes. And I love this song. I love this song because it's a song of repentance and it's also a song of praise. I was going to lead you in worship, but I figured Don Moen will do a better job than me. And then I want to pray a powerful prayer for you afterwards. There are three types of people in the audience, three types of people listening to me today. Um, those who are about to go into a storm, uh, those who are in the middle of a storm, and those who have just come out of a storm. And I can say pretty much we're all in the second category today. Uh, we're in the middle of a storm. And yet, tough times and the storms don't diminish the reality of God's presence, okay? Darkness will fall, clouds will gather, shadows will come, but our faith and our confidence in Him need never be shaken. And when we face those difficult times like we are today, God will always be with us to make a way 
where there seems to be no way. And uh, I just want to encourage you today uh, to focus on the fact that God is bigger than this virus. God is bigger than your financial challenges right now. God is bigger than any disease in your body. And we choose to put our trust in you today, Lord. I pray for all of my friends listening, uh, that you would touch their bodies, be healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus, your name is more powerful than cancer, heart disease, any disease, any virus. So in Jesus' name, be healed right now. Thank you, Lord, for providing for every need, making a way where there seems to be no way. Come and be big, be glorified be magnified over this situation in Jesus name I have made you too small in my eyes oh Lord forgive me and I have believed in a lie that you were unable to help me I see my wrongs. Heal my heart and show yourself strong. And in my eyes and with my song, oh Lord, be magnified. Oh Lord, be magnified. And I have leaned on the wisdom of men oh Lord forgive me and I have responded to them instead of your light and your mercy but now oh Lord I see my wrong my heart and show yourself strong and in my eyes and with my song oh Lord be magnified oh Lord be magnified sing it with me be magnified
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are mighty and that you are powerful. We magnify you today. We acknowledge your otherness. We renounce the lies that we have believed concerning the world, concerning ourselves, concerning other people around us. We've magnified them and we've exalted them, but we repent today, Lord. We change our minds concerning how we see all these things and we choose to fix our eyes on you. You say in your word that you will keep us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed upon you. And we choose to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. And so right now I pray for my brothers and sisters and I loose you from that spirit of fear. And I say fear is no longer your portion. It's not part of your identity. You're completely loosed right now. You're completely free from the spirit of fear. Fear of failure, fear of success, fear of man. Leave in Jesus' name and rise up in the love of Jesus and in the revelation of his relentless love. I thank you that you're releasing grace right now, Father, that even as we walk out from here, we'll be those who meditate upon your truth, meditate upon your love, meditate upon your presence with us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.